So my shelf life at any company is two years, right? I'm an entrepreneur. I've started six companies. I work independently. I wrote this book. A lot of those are really isolating situations, especially when you sit in the CEO chair, right? You don't have friends in the company because, you know, you can be friends with people and care about people, but it's not the same, right? So um, in order to really feel um, nourished and healthy, I cultivate deliberate connections. Hi, I'm Shannon Lucas. And I'm Tracy Lovejoy. And we're the co-CEOs of Catalyst Constellations, which is dedicated to catalyzing innate change makers to accelerate positive change. This is our podcast, Move Fast, Fast, Break Shit, Shit, Burnout, where we highlight catalysts that are creating amazing change in the world. In this season of the podcast, we are diving deep into the skills that make Catalyst successful. And I am so thrilled to have time today with author Janice Frazier, who's an investor, speaker, and expert in emerging management practices to support innovation at scale. A Silicon Valley veteran, she's built a storied career as a product manager, founder, facilitator, and confidant for entrepreneurs and enterprise executives alike. But her impact extends well beyond the Valley with innovation and transformation projects at NASA, the Obama White House, Procter & Gamble, and many other companies in the Fortune 500. As an investor, she's particularly committed to championing, championing and extending access to the brilliant entrepreneurs who are typically underrepresented in the world of venture-backed startups. I am so thrilled to have you with me today, Janice. Thank you so much. And congratulations on the book. Thank you. Coming out this week. It's amazing. Ready? Here, I'll hold it up for people who are looking. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. To have the object in my hand is, it feels like a huge milestone. So I'm, I couldn't be happier. Yeah. Your new baby. You're the baby. baby. You got your new baby. (laughs) It is, it is a birth birthing joy to get your book out there in the world. Yeah. So let's start off by how you relate to the concept of catalyst. Well, it's interesting. I, when I was looking into kind of, what do you mean by catalyst? I went and I found a podcast that you did with my friend, Brian Ardinger. And um, there are a couple of sentences that really seemed to describe me. And because I have absolutely no memory, I wrote them down. So um, you said, it's basically people who take in lots of information from lots of sources And from that, they see emergent new possibilities, and then they create a vision and they move into action fast. That basically describes my entire last 25 years of my career, um, where it's always standing kind of at an edge. You know, we used to say the bleeding edge, and then I call it knitting. I sit there and I make the latest, greatest thing that is in the hands of the special people. Mm. I make it easier to repeat and effectively. And, and so if I had to, once I had uh, a few years ago, I had to make a six word bio and it was knitting at the edge of newness, which has no poetry in it, but it's like, if you're at the bleeding edge, how do you like just sit there and make it boring so that you can move on to the next new thing? So that's kind of been my special place throughout my career. And while I'm not the one who's inventing the new idea, I'm the one who's saying like, wow, that's the new thing that is going to change everything. We need to get it in the hands of as many people as we can. How can we do that with some reliable amount of success? So that's kind of like, I would say that's my positioning in this whole innovation world space. First of all, I think that knitting at the edge of newness is incredibly poetic and I'm going to steal copy borrow that. I think it's amazing. Please do. 
And, and second, um, it's such an interesting thing because it's like people, when you're an activator, sometimes people don't necessarily sense the action behind that. But those other people that you are borrowing or connecting the ideas and knitting the ideas from are the visionaries, but they're not necessarily mm -hmm. the ones that are tying together, pulling the threads to actually make it something that can be realized and mm -hmm. executed out in the world. So mm -hmm. yeah, that is, that is a superpower. So like when um, Lean Startup first came out, right? So Lean Startup came out in 2008 as a concept and it got lots and lots of traction right away. And then the book came out in about 2011 and like somewhere in like 2009, 10 era, I was introduced to it. And what I saw in it was tons of connection to um, good consultative selling, tons of connection to user experience design, which was, you know, a, a core practice of my, you know, previous career, right? And so it was connected to all of these different pieces. And so I was able to knit all of those together so that all different sorts of people could identify themselves in yeah. that, that thing and could take and could move from their place of ex current expertise and just augment that a little bit instead of having to like, oh, this is whole new. I have to reframe everything. You're like, no, 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 no. Just like take what you're doing and rotate it 25% and you're going to see the world in a whole new way. And you know, so like, like that kind of moment is where I feel like I have made my biggest contributions um, to the world, to the industry, to what have you. I think it's such a good pivot to, you know, we got to talk a little bit about what your, what your sort of most impactful skills are, the skills that have made you impactful as a catalyst. So can you share those with us and maybe a couple of stories about how they've helped you or maybe a couple of times when you didn't have them and you wished you had had them? <laughs> Yes, for sure. Um, so it's interesting. Our greatest strength, our greatest weakness. I am all processor, no storage, right? So I can take in that information and I can thread it together with a bunch of other pieces and I can, you know, synthesize it almost immediately. Um, my husband finds it uncanny. Like he and I have worked together on and off for well over a decade and you know, so he's been my biggest partner. He's my co-author on the book, right? He's my co-creator of some of these methodologies. And he's like, I don't know how you do it. You know, we'll walk into a room where we have to do a strategic consulting with somebody and I'll be able to just like ask six or eight questions, synthesize a vision, repeat it back and help that person understand their, understand themselves in a way that they could not previously see themselves before. and. Um, you know, and that kind of creating a mental model for people, I think is, is probably my greatest gift. Um, and there have been times when it really didn't serve me very well. Um, and, you know, here I'll, I'll actually tell a personal story because I think it's, it really sort of, she was able to say something to me that I hadn't heard articulated this way before. So um, I have a relative, um, let's say it's a niece um, who came to stay with us for a while. I'm not going to reveal anything, um, but uh, she would come and we would, she was an intern for me and we would talk, right? We would have these periodic conversations. And, you know, I'm a tough love kind of person. And at one point we were sitting at a coffee shop and she said, she just like put down her pen and she looked straight at me and she said, Aunt Janice, talking to you is sometimes not very fun. And I was like, you know, I've gotten that sense, but no one's ever actually said it that way. And it turned out that my ability to kind of read a truth mm -hmm. and say it out loud 
um, is can be really painful for people to receive. And when you put that skill and that shortcoming into a work context, let's say a transformation context where you need a bunch of, you know, senior vice presidents or business unit presidents or, you know, divisional CEOs to hear you being that sort of a threat is just not, it's counterproductive Counterproductive, and they never want to talk to you. That's right. Right. So I've had to learn how to modulate that and, um, and really accept that just because I see this as a truth doesn't a make it the truth, right? It's one yeah. piece of truth and it doesn't make it the most productive use of our relationship at that moment. And so, you know, I can't say that I'm good at this yet. I'm always learning, always, always learning. Um, and I'm always taking input from wherever I can get it. You know, anytime someone's willing to tell you an unpleasant truth, I count that a gift, even though it's an unpleasant gift. Um, so that's maybe an example of how it has not necessarily been my greatest asset, let's say. It is a double-edged sword for us. And I think that that empathy that you're talking about that goes with that, the, the super processing power, like when we can marry those two things, we can really unlock change. And I'm just wondering, like, do you have an example of a time that, and, and the other challenge for us is that empathy takes time. Yeah. That's part of the problem. And I talk about the emotional labor that we have to do on behalf of the organizations. Like we'll see that thing that needs because we've done the processing on behalf of the org. Um, And so I'm just wondering like, you know, maybe there's a time when you've done that, but also sort of addressing the like frustration of, oh, I have to self-manage again. I have to do the empathy again. I have to repeat myself five times because they didn't hear the first soft way that I (laughs) shared it with them. Absolutely. Um, Well, you know, I hope this is responsive to your question, but um, there was a time a few years ago where my personal psychological makeup was getting in the way of my effectiveness at work, right? Um, and I uh, learned a lot from an, a wing of psychology called dialectical behavioral therapy training. So DBT. And, you know, embarrassingly, DBT was developed to help borderline personality disorder people self-regulate. And I can proudly say I am not actually in that diagnostic category, but I had some, I, I had some learning to do about how to prioritize interpersonal effectiveness in part because of this sort of abruptness. I was perceived as being a very abrupt communicator. So I learned a technique called GIVE, right? G-I-V-E. And it stands for um, gentle, interested, validating, and easy manner. And so the the framework is this. In any conversation, you can prioritize the relationship. You can prioritize getting your own uh, goals accomplished, or you can prioritize protecting your kind of moral uh, stance, your ethical situation. The ethical situation tends not to show up in mo- most people's daily lives. I'm not I'm not challenged in in my values very often, um, and I seem to be pretty good at getting my needs met. What I needed to do was really focus on that first piece on prioritizing the relationship over these other two things. So give is the acronym for what you do, and and in in that moment, what give says is you are gentle with the other person, you express interest, you validate that their point of view is valid because you know what, it's their point of view that inherently makes it 
valid, even if it's not justified by facts, right? And easy manner means if you're getting excited, you know, your shoulders are going up, you're getting excited, you're speaking in a higher rapid clip, you can just like breath out and uh, be more mindful of the affect that you share of the you know, the easy manner, like if you remember to talk to people, like they're your friend, they're more likely to perceive you as their friend. And so I, for probably a year, kept a post-it note and we were all working remotely at this time. I kept a post-it note on the side of my computer so that when I was on zoom calls with them, it said in big letters, G I V E just remember to give, because it kind of doesn't matter whether your fast processor is like, that doesn't matter if the person cannot receive what you're saying. So it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I've never heard the give and I love it because we, you know, as catalysts as a community, and there's a lot of people who are showing up with neurological, neurological diversity yes. in this community, which also I think compounds like our strong desire to move fast and get shit done and all of that with the other challenges that we might bring. Um, but if we lose people on the way, like, yeah. it just doesn't matter. Right. And yeah. so I love that there's something that's so simple to nothing easy but simple. It's, <laughs> it is. And, it, and because it's not easy, it has to be simple. Right. And this is one of the things that I think when we, when we're talking about change management, we have to make the right thing to do the easier thing to do. Right. But often when we're talking about change, there are the hardest things to do. So mnemonics like that have really become important tools for me. Yeah. How do you, I mean, so I can imagine a listener saying, yeah, that sounds easy and simple potentially in theory, that self-awareness and mindfulness piece that you talked about really underpins, I think, our ability, even when the post-it note is there yes, <laughs> to pay attention to my shoulders are up, my voice is getting louder, my pulse is racing. Mm -hmm. How have you cultivated the mindfulness that really supports your, your ambitions to show up in that give manner? It's, it's a very good point and completely spot on. So um, I have been looking at mindfulness for a long time, right? So you learn mindfulness when you are in yoga practice, you learn mindfulness when you, you know, try some of these things, even, you know, um, I do weightlifting um, kind of powerlifting, and there's a lot of mindfulness involved yeah. in yeah. the, the specific form of weightlifting. So I think a lot of mindfulness is helped by physical practices and um, all of our emotions, I didn't know this until I took this dialectical behavioral therapy training, yada, yada thing. Um, but the first unit of DBT is a mindfulness unit. And you repeat those lessons over and over. Mm -hmm. And so I started to practice it more intentionally. And I learned that our emotional reactions are a combination of physical sensations, um, thoughts and action urges. So an emotional reaction is just those three things. And you can be very mindful about each one of those three things. And so um, paying attention to my heart rate, paying attention to my rate of breathing, all of those things were things that very deliberately I practiced for about a year and a half as a means of becoming a better self-regulator in order to be able to lead more effectively. And now keep in mind, I was at in the C-suite at this point. I was, you know, and so this level of self-reflection, I think, comes with wanting to have a greater impact on the world around you and more effectiveness in whatever context it is that you find yourself. 100%. 
It's so important. And I think people often see it as fluffy, but as even as you just said with the DBT, it's so foundational. You know, if I can speak to that fluffiness for just a second. Yeah, please. Yeah. It sounds fluffy, but when you start to get to know, when you rise to those levels of upper echelons of VPs of, you know, billion dollar companies, multi-billion dollar companies, you realize that the higher you go, the more you need to think like a performance athlete. Mm -hmm. And so things that you know, on the surface look fluffy, it turns out are critical if you're going to be a high performing individual, like really high peak performance. And so mindset is critical if you're a performance athlete and no one would, no one would question what Michael Jordan does to get psyched before a game. No one, (laughs) right? So why should anyone question that when you get ready to go into a critical meeting? Like when I'm in a critical meeting, the potential that I have to create change is enormous. And so I want to be at peak performance. And so I do deliberately draw lessons from peak performance yeah. achievers, right? Yeah. So that I can really make the change that I see as so critical in the world. It's so, it's so spot on. And um, the, it's like there, there's a, a bunch of tools potentially at your disposal, right? There's a bunch of skills, whatever you want to. And so if you think about like the, the Michael Jordans or the Bill Russells of the world, it wasn't just that they were incredible athletes. They were also incredible leaders. And they did that through a lot of these practices by getting people to get this collective shared of we're in this to win this together. And you can't do that if That's it's just right. me first, my way or the highway. Right. I love and, it. You know, I would say not to overly plug the book, but that's kind of the whole reason that we were interested in exploring leadership as a concept. Like this is a leadership book, regardless of where you lead. Right. And what we wanted to know was aside from the sort of Steve Jobs hero mythology, right. you know, how do how do we become much more mindful, exceptionally productive leaders? Um, and what are the tools that exist um, that work uh, pretty reliably um, to to really kind of occupy that that leadership space? Yeah, and and, it, and the important thing for like Catalyst listening is our take on it is if you are a change agent, you are always a leader. Like you might right. not have the title, but if you're trying to get an orchestrate change you have to have all of the skills that great leaders have and probably more because you don't have the actual authority on the org chart to get it done. So Absolutely. Absolutely. I we really don't believe in the that leadership is something that's done by elite people. We right. believe that leadership is done by all sorts of people who would consider themselves just kind of regular, but they just lead by default, right? That's they right. just are always um doing these things that make great things happen. Okay, this is a totally selfish repivot back to I'm a great processor. I'm all process, but no storage. Because <laughs> I totally relate to that concept. My family's always like, how can you not remember that? I'm like, I don't know, but I can process that information, the new information really fast. How do you, I, I, I get the all processing. I think that people will in the Catalyst community will totally relate to that. Do you have workarounds for the no storage place? Oh, I probably have way more than I'm aware of. Um, I take lots and lots and lots of notes. I type very fast. Um, and actually remote meetings in this way has been really helpful because I can type without actually breaking the flow of the meeting. I hate having laptops open when I'm meeting with people in real life. Um, uh, so I take lots of notes. Um, I can write 
fairly well without looking like I can be making eye contact and like scribbling with my pen, mm-hmm. but I also, I remember things in, I'm very visual. So I remember, um, ideas if I can picture the page of notes that I wrote on with all the scratchings and lines and what have you. So those are, those are some of the things that I do. Um, I also, I have an assistant, right? So this is one of the things that, and she's stayed with me for, is it six years? I don't even know. It's been like six years now, multiple job contexts for both of us. And, um, she helps me not lose the details of a meeting invitation. So one of the ways that it shows up is like, I'll say like, yeah, how about like, like, let's, there's one today. Let's get together for coffee next week on Friday or on Thursday at four 30. Okay, great. I know I will never get that on the calendar correctly. I will, I will make it Friday. Like I just did. I will make it four instead of four 30. I have to include my assistant and I just self-disclose all over the place. Like all processor, no storage, bad with details. Here's Susan. Like, please, please organize with Susan, which I'm sure I did with you all as well. Um, but, but you interface with Amy and I saw, I, I don't know, maybe I'm projecting, but I saw a little bit of hesitation as you were like, and I have this amazing number two person in my life. And it's just like, but we talk about this for catalyst. It's like, what are the supporters that you need? I mean, I joke, like in my last executive role, I needed a VP of ops. I needed a chief of staff and I needed an EA to yeah. keep the wheels on the bus of a large organization. Yeah, and so I think right. it's, I think it is finding the people in your life. And I just texted Amy, we love you. This is a shout out for you. I just texted <laughs> her again today. Cause we had the same thing. And I was just like, I had to say, thank you for being able to roll with our catalytic nature because very few people can do that and when you find someone you know whatever the role is official your partner you know whatever that is it's like deep gratitude for keeping the wheels on the bus well and i haven't quite gotten to the point where i am unapologetic about it right i i'm still a little you're right there is a little hesitation and i am still a little bit um apologetic and i think that that's just you know, I'd see I'm 57 today. So it's 57 years of, you know, patriarchal training, like in Silicon Valley, where, you know, there's this, um, sense of independence that we're all supposed to carry. Like, there's just sort of a, like, what is my personal brand? Is it, you know, and so whatever I, I will at some point get over being apologetic about it. And maybe this is the moment. It takes all of us to make the change happen. All right. So what are your biggest challenges currently as a catalyst leader? Um, let's see. My biggest challenges. I wrote something down for that. That's so funny. And now I was like, I don't have any challenges. It's finding, all great. Finding community and nourishing relationships. That's what it was. And, th- and that is actually true. This is, this has been a sustained effort. Um, I, so my shelf life at any company is two years, right? Yep. I'm an entrepreneur. I've started six companies. I work independently. I wrote this book a lot of those are really isolating situations, especially when you sit in the CEO chair, right? You don't have friends in the company because, you know, you can be friends with people and care about people, but it's not the same, right? So um, in order to really feel um, nourished and healthy, I cultivate deliberate connections. I will, um, I will just wake up in the morning and text three people just cause I just wake up in the morning and I'm like, okay, today I've got to connect with people because I've been sitting in my kitchen too much. Like I, I work out of my kitchen. It's got glorious light out the backyard. Right. But I sit in my kitchen alone all day with my cat and my dog. And, um, and that's not a way to feel connected. Um, belonging is actually 
um, interpreted in the brain in the same location as physical pain, right? Mm -hmm. So if you lose belonging, if there's a, a threat to your belonging to right. a certain group, it will cause you sort of a pseudo physical pain reaction. And so I, I think that relationship is as vital to our health and our well being as food, clothing, shelter. And I think that there's some research to back that up. Totally. We actually have in our book, we have a reimagined Maslow's hierarchy where connection is actually at the center of everything. Because if yeah. you're in isolation, your life expectancy goes down. I mean, it's yeah. like, it's pr proven. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, building relationship, I'm a member of a number of um, kind of women's group for a broad definition of female identifying people. Um, and they are my life. I just, I mean, I love them, you know, so, so, so very much. And, you know, I, if I can name drop a couple, like Chairman Me has been amazing. Um, that was founded by Sarah Lacey, an excellent friend and, and um, leader. And uh, I'm a member of the Coven, which is a co-working space in Minneapolis run by this amazing four, these four women who founded a, a workplace for women. And so it's, they're, there are just these places where I feel nourished and revitalized. And that's, that's something that I cultivate very deliberately because otherwise, if I wasn't deliberate about it, it would never happen. Yeah. I think it's super helpful for, again, for our listeners to hear someone who's as accomplished as you in your career to still be struggling with that and to normalize that because as catalyst, it is like, we are moving jobs. So, you know, intentionally or unintentionally every couple of years yeah. and um, and how isolating that can be. And even if you stay in one role for or one company for 10 years, you can still be sort of on the outside as the change agent. So thank you for sharing that. And then the intention around like, but, and, and there's things yeah. that we can do tech, wake up and text three people. Yeah. yeah. It's, it can be really simple. And you know what, yeah. those people really, they need that love that you're going to share with them. Right. And so you're just helping to bind the world together in a very healthy way. Love it. All right. Enough of the serious stuff. Onto the fun stuff. Yay. One thing that you do to get ready for a big meeting. Well, we've already talked about mindfulness. And so I do, I have some breath work that I do, you know, so for me, it's about lowering cortisol levels. So for a breath of four in breath of eight out. And I do that for about a minute, minute and a half. Um, but also lipstick and a good necklace. Those are. I love that one. That's do you fine. have, is, is, do you have a specific necklace that's part of your personal brand or is it just having a necklace? It's that necklace. Specific well, it used or? to be, I mean, they do change every couple okay. of years, but okay. this is my zoom necklace yeah. for the last couple of years or last year and a half. And I am in love with it. It was awesome. a birthday gift from my husband last year. It is gorgeous. I, agree. So I guess it's been exactly 12 months. Cause I got it. A year ago, so. <laughs> All right. Favorite way to spend a free day. If you get any, do you get some? I do. I gift myself free days often. So I, I am either on or off, right? And when I'm off, what I like to do is indulge the senses. And you know, it took me a while to figure out that that's what I was doing. But like um, over the holidays, my husband and I went to a perfume store nearby um, in the Castro and, and just going with my husband on a date to smell and choose perfume was this luscious thing. Or I'll go to an art museum or I'll take a bath with whatever, or I'll wrap myself in my favorite blanket and sit on the couch and be cozy. So there's, there's a real sort of, um, maybe it's self-soothing kind of that I do. Um, but I like to, a friend of mine, um, says, make yourself 10% cozier. She does this at the start of her, her meetings. And I was like, oh yeah, 10% cozier. I think yeah. that's a good personal brand. She should, she should own that. 
Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Sorry, I'm going to share a personal dot that just connected for me with what you said is um, so I'm going, I'm leaving, I'm going on a trip to Australia for two weeks. I'm taking the two weeks off partly because like it's literally the other side of the world. The time zone is really challenging there. But also <laughs> I've learned about myself that when I when I'm traveling, whether it's for work or not, it's really hard for me to track all of the meetings that are in between the things. And I just I fuck up. That's the only way to describe it. I yeah. fuck up so often that I'm just like, I need yes. to take all the noise out and so I can travel for business, but I'm there for the meeting. Yeah. And everything else has to be around it because I will lose it. So I'm just connecting that with you're like, oh, that might be my no storage, my no no storage piece. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I used to come away from trips like that. I take a lot of business travel with all these little pieces of paper. Yeah. And I always felt a lot of shame about those pieces of paper because I never followed through with them the way that I ought to. And what I've realized is that I can a forgive my, like that is, is not necessary for that to be the thing that I, you know, right. catch myself up on, but also I can just like take 10 minutes and uh, deal with five of them and that's it. And if I only get to five of them, that's okay. That's still productive. Um, yeah. So I, grace and self-compassion. It's so yeah. important. Yeah. yeah. All right. Famous favorite catalyst alive or dead and why this was very hard. This was a very hard question. So I actually, over the weekend was um, sorting through things in my office and I found this little, can you see what that says? Yes. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Right. Um, and I found uh, this is from a couple of years ago. So two things it says when in doubt lipstick, Nice. and then who would I invite to a dinner? That's amazing. So I'll read this to you. It, um, the list is Sarah Silverman, right? Funny, amazing. Sorry. Dolly Parton, hero, Badass. feminist hero, icon, totally. Billie Jean King, who had yeah. a super interesting story. Um, maybe Steve Carell. I'm not sure why I put him, but there was a question mark next to it. And Alan Cummings, who is um, Alan, Cummings. Alan Cummings is an actor. Um, he has a very distinctive voice. I'm sure you would recognize him if you saw him, but he wrote an amazing memoir about his relationship with his abusive father and mm. coming out as a gay man. And like, I just think that he's brave and charming and warm and funny. And so that would be my dinner party. And I think that all of those people in their own way were catalysts and disruptors and um, iconoclasts who, who embraced their agency, right? And that's the thing that really gets me is when people are willing to live their own life with full permission to be themselves, even though it took great courage to get there. Yeah. Um, and in doing so, helped some of us feel seen, understood, valid, um, totally. and brave. So that's totally. such a good lesson. It's such a way. And, and I love the, like, who would you want to have to dinner list? I need to, I need to have one of those. Yeah. All right. <laughs> What's your call to action for our listeners then? Well, I think my call to action today is, um, email three people who you love and just tell them you love them because we don't do it enough. It feels a little I don't know, frivolous or silly, but it really matters. It really matters. And um, we need those connections now, I think more than ever, because the world is pretty unsettling at the moment. And um, you need to be loved and they need to be loved. And so you can do that in 30 seconds. That's amazing. 
I'm also going to do a shout out for you. Um, everyone should check out her new book. It's called Farther, Faster, and Far Less Drama, How to Reduce Stress and Make Extraordinary Progress Wherever You Lead. I'm so excited to read it myself. Um, thank you so much. It was such a lovely conversation. I could talk what for hours. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and let's do that next time we're in the same place. 100%. I'm coming. I'm coming. And if you do the book tour here, let me know. I'll, I'll rally my troops. All right. All right. You got it. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about how to accelerate positive change, go to our website at catalystconstellations.com. Don't forget to check out our book, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burn Out. And if you have other <laughs> catalysts in your life, hit the share button and send a link their way. Thanks again, Janice. 